church. It's going to be wonderful. Look forward to seeing you there. You know, this Christmas season is truly a special time. It's, it's just a remarkable, and some say it's a magical time. And there's great joy that comes with the Christmas season with little things like decorating cookies and eating special, eating the cookies, even more than decorating them, and, and giving gifts and not receiving, giving the gifts and enjoying time with your family. It's a really special time. But have you ever noticed, not, not to be a cynic here, but I'm being, I'm being real, just keeping it real. Have you ever noticed how even in these special moments, like yes, including Christmas, that they aren't always perfect? Have you noticed that? That even Christmas sometimes disappoints, that it really isn't perfect, and we, we want it to be, and we think that it will be, and sometimes it's just not. And so I'll give you an example. If, if you have a marriage that's really struggling, no one in here, of course, but if you had a marriage that was really struggling, and then it's Christmas time, it doesn't fix it. Christmas isn't going to fix your, your struggling marriage. Or if you have a relationship with someone in your family, say your extended family, and, and it's a broken relationship with that other person, guess what you're going to do at Christmas? You're going to see them. Maybe you don't see them all year, but at Christmas you may have to be across the table from them and you're reminded, oh yeah, I had that unreconciled relationship with so-and-so in my family. And because it's Christmas, the magic doesn't make it go away. It's a problem. If you're having financial struggles, I can tell you this, Christmas isn't going to solve your financial struggles. It may actually cause you to be tempted to get into worse financial struggles, buying things that you really can't afford. And so Christmas and the supposed magic of, of celebrating it the way we tend to do doesn't always solve our problems. And even during the holidays, which we're in right now, we still desperately need the grace of Jesus. We need him as much in the holidays as we do at other moments. And God's grace is there when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus with family at Christmas. And God's grace is equally there when you see someone kneeling by a tomb and they're weeping and they're broken. God's grace is there just as much. And indeed, we are in need of God's grace. And in order to keep our minds centered on, on the reason for why we celebrate Christmas and that we need God's grace. For the month of December, we've been going through a series in Luke 1 and 2, a series called Change That Christmas, talking about encountering the Savior changes everything. And so none of us in the room, none of us on the planet are perfectly holy. We all need the very Spirit of God to do something inside of us to transform us so that we can truly be different. Because since we're not holy, we need God's Holy Spirit to make the changes in us so that we can not just change our behavior, but have new affections, have new desires, and have new motives, and have a new heart. Only God's Spirit can affect those kinds of deep and lasting changes that has to come from above. We can't make those kind of changes. 
It's us yielding to God, and then he makes those changes. And it happens when we encounter the person of Jesus Christ. Encountering the Savior indeed changes everything. And so thus far in the series, looking through Luke 1, we have so far seen that the Savior creates servants, followers. We saw that with Mary. And then we saw last week that the Savior creates humble followers with Mary. And we also saw that with Elizabeth. That it's, it's the Savior himself that is transforming people into servants and into humble followers. And today as we continue, now in Luke 2, we're looking at how the Savior creates peace-filled followers. And so Jesus himself gives us peace. And he's the one alone that can do that. And every one of us has a yearning for peace. We all want it. We all desire it. And let's see the only way that true peace is attainable. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, the verses will be on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Amen. This is remarkable. This is God revealing to us exactly how Jesus came and why Jesus came and also the result of his coming. Everything about the Christmas story that we see here shows how Jesus is brightly displaying God's glory. Everything that God does has exactly one purpose. God is accomplishing one purpose, that is to display his glory. So God created everything that exists so that he could be worshipped. And so the stars, they shine so brightly every night, shine brightly for God. And when you look at trees and mountains, which we have neither of them in Abu Dhabi, but even when you see beautiful sand dunes, when when you see creation and how big and beautiful and majestic it is, It is pointing to the designer, to the creator who made it big because he is bigger than even what we see here. It fits in his pocket like a peanut. 
And He is majestic. And He is magnificent. And He is creating things that are beautiful and majestic and magnificent. And everything that has been created declares the glory of God. It declares God is glorious. The creator, the designer, is amazing and wise and beautiful. And so that's why he is creating things. But what about humans? Same thing. He made humans to worship God. Same purpose. He made humans so that we can reflect his glory. He made us as image bearers to reflect his image, to reflect his glory on the earth. And so humans exist to worship, and we are always worshiping. We have been created to worship, and we are constantly worshiping. See, we were made to look at something, to look at something that's beyond ourselves. And, and when we see that, we want to marvel at it and to desire it and to love it with great affection. And so when we see things and we're desiring it and marveling at it, and it, it captures our gaze and our hearts feel captivated by whatever it is in the world, then that is worship. But the problem is it's designed to be centered not on anything in the world, but to be centered on him who created the world. So when we are captivated and when we desire things and marvel and give our heart to things that are on the world, that is called idolatry. Because we are worshiping the created instead of worshiping the creator. And so that is what we do. We worship all the time. Every day, every minute, you are worshiping something. But we're designed to worship and he has a plan. He has a plan for creation as he wants to be worshipped by creation. And there's a word that describes this, and the word is shalom. Now, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Now, when we think of the word peace, usually we think of not fighting. And so if you've ever had a husband or wife that you're fighting with, there's no peace, right? You're like, oh, I just want peace. What he's saying is, I want to stop fighting. I want you to leave me alone. And so we tend to think of peace is the absence of fighting. But in the Bible, the word shalom is much deeper than that. It's much more than just the absence of fighting. In the Bible, the word shalom, this word peace, means the state of things in harmony with God's holiness. And so being in harmony being joyfully and gladly submissive to God the King who is holy, living in harmony with Him, peace with God. But see, here's the problem with us. The problem is that humanity is sinful, that we're corrupted, and so we don't want to be in harmony with God's holiness as our King. We want to be in charge, and we don't want to submit to him. And so humans, left to themselves, ourselves, are actually at war with God. No peace with God. We don't want God, left to ourselves, to be the king and to rule and for us to joyfully submit to him and enjoy him and follow his leading, which is what we were created to do. And the best that God can give us is himself. The best that God could give us 
is his presence, but he can't be in the presence of evil. And so what we have is humans that are rebellious against God. That is our problem. Left to ourselves, we'll value other things more than Jesus. And that's the point of Christmas. Christmas is God's rescue plan. That's what Christmas is. Christmas isn't about Christmas trees and balls of holly. Those things are cool. Nothing wrong with decorating for Christmas. But the point of Christmas is God's rescue plan to save rebels like you and me so that we can have peace and not be at war with God. Redemption of the world so that we can then have shalom, have peace with God as our king, joyfully enjoying him and following him. And so the main idea from Luke 2 it's on the screen. The main idea is that God is accomplishing his plan to restore peace through Christ the Lord, as he is called in Luke 2. So God's plan that he's accomplishing is to bring peace, to bring shalom, and he does it through Christ. And that's what Christmas is about. He sends Jesus. And there are three specific truths here revealed about peace in this text. That's the main idea. So let's find the first truth. And the first one is the need for peace. We need peace. That's the first truth. And you see it in verses 1, 2, and 3. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that this is the key, that all the world, this is important, he says that all the world should be registered. And he says that everyone had to register in their own town, their ancestral city. Now, this is important. Caesar Augustus says that the whole world, the whole known world, had to be registered. Understand the context. Caesar was considered a god. He was deity. He was worshipped in the Roman Empire. Why? Well, he was the king. He had built the kingdom. He had defeated the enemies. He had ushered in what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so Caesar Augustus was the one that ushered in this golden age for Rome, where there was peace and there was prosperity, and he was worshipped as the conquering king who was worthy of all the praise of the Roman Empire. And so when you see here, that all the world was to be registered. This is not just a headcount for taxation. It was that, but it was much more than that. This was the sovereign of Rome exerting his power and authority over all the world, saying, I am the king, I am God. You will bow down and worship me, burn incense to me, the Caesar, all the world, bow down to me. Because I, Caesar, am worthy. Because I, Caesar, have conquered and brought in peace and this golden age of prosperity for the kingdom. This is the environment in the first century with Caesar Augustus. And so what you have is the people of God under oppression by a pagan king in an enemy kingdom being asked to worship a god named Caesar. 
And so what you have is a, a climate in the Roman Empire where Luke, inspired by God's Spirit, is directly saying, no, I don't think so. This Christmas story is a statement by the Holy Spirit of God. And he is speaking loud and clear in this text. And he is saying, all the kingdoms and rulers of this world cannot bring true peace. All the dignitaries, all the rulers of this world can get together and have their conferences, GA, G20, or whatever, and they can't bring peace. Caesar's peace, Roman peace, was a facade. It wasn't real. Maybe there was a a surface peace with no enemy attacking because of their superior military abilities, but don't be deceived, there was no peace. Why? Because every single human being in the Roman Empire was at war with other people, still broken relationships, and more importantly, the people were still at war with the one true God, and his name was not Caesar. His name is the Lord, and his son eternally is Jesus, and he sent him to say, you want peace? It will come through my son, the king, the rightful heir of the throne, and he alone can bring peace that Rome and no one else cannot. This is profound. But understand something. All of us tend to look to this world for peace. We do it. We do it all the time. Why do we need peace? I ask this question because the first point I'm, I'm, I'm claiming from the first three verses, which are clear, is that we need peace. Why? Because there's opposition. That's why we need peace, because there is an enemy. There's a very real enemy. And if you read Luke 1, we didn't look at it last week, not enough weeks in December, but in Luke 1, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesies at the end of Luke 1, right before you read Luke 2, and here's what he says, the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, delivered us from the hand of our enemies to give light to those in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Two verses later, you have the emperor decreeing and God sending Jesus. So what you have here is this prophecy that God's going to bring salvation, God's going to bring peace, defeat the enemy. We have a very real enemy. And he doesn't want us to have freedom. And we look for peace in the things of this world. We do. We say, if I have a really big bank account, if I work really hard, for a long time, and save all my durhams, then I'm going to have a really big bank account, and I'm going to have a really great retirement account, and then I'm going to have what? Blank of mind? What am I going to have? I'm going to have peace of mind. As long as I have all my money saved up, I'm going to have peace. And we actually believe that. We actually think that we're going to have peace because we have money in the account. Or, or maybe for you it's not that. Maybe for you is your life is stressed, 
or you're experiencing things that you don't really desire to experience and maybe something is difficult and you don't sense peace in your soul. And so what do you do? Well, you want to go on vacations that you really can't afford or you want to buy things that you think are going to bring you relief, but they really don't. They just put you in debt. And what happens is your desire to alleviate this discomfort and stress leads you to find peace in the things of this world, and it doesn't work. So I ask you this morning to consider the fact that absolutely we all need peace. The question is, where are you turning to? Where are you looking for peace? Where does your heart turn to when you're restless and you know you need peace? I would ask you to consider that this week as we head into celebrating Christmas, that you really consider and ask God reveal to you, well, what is it? I can tell you this, nothing will give you peace other than Jesus. Jesus alone, that's why God sent Jesus, we see it in this text. Only he can give you peace. And he's in control of everything. He used this pagan emperor to make a law, a decree, that everyone had to go to their ancestral city, including David, not David, Joseph, to go to the city of David, Bethlehem. And so they weren't going to go to Bethlehem. There's no indication that they had plans to go to Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. Why did they go to Bethlehem? Because the emperor made them. But in actuality, there was a prophecy by the prophet Micah that we read earlier in the worship gathering that in Bethlehem, the city of David, the Messiah would come who would be the true king, the son of David, to rule over the whole world and who would bring what? And so Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. And what brought him there? A pagan ruler's decision. And so we look at our church and we say things like, well, what's going to happen with our church? We, we tried to meet in a school. And we submitted a letter last summer. And in the authorities here who don't love Jesus said no, that we're not allowed to meet in a school. And they said, well, maybe we'll meet in a hotel. And we submitted a letter, and we have not gotten the formal denial. But it's been three months. And so if I'm very frank with you, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't appear to me as though that is what God has for us. But I don't pretend to have God's wisdom. And we're relying on the authority of the government, of the emperor, quote-unquote, of Abu Dhabi, to tell us what's going to happen. But is it really up to the Abu Dhabi government to decide that? Really? No, God is sovereign. God is controlling all things, including what happens with governments and with emperors and rulers. And God is orchestrating and he is using all things, including people in government who don't know, don't love God. And he's using them to accomplish his divine purposes. And we can trust God. If we're in the zoo for the next several years, then praise be to God. If that's what he wants, if that is what's best for our church, and God knows what is best, and he loves us, then so be it. He's going to provide. We're not going to worry. We tend to worry about things that might happen. Well, this could happen, or that might not go well. And then we worry, and we lose our peace, and we lose our joy because we're so afraid of what might happen tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
You let God take care of tomorrow. He holds tomorrow. You just trust him today. As a church, we trust that our God loves us and he's controlling all things. And he'll lead us as a church and individually. Are you really trusting him? If you don't have peace, if you're restless, you have to ask yourself, why is that? Do you really believe him? Are you really trusting him? Or are you letting circumstances in your mind to be bigger and more powerful than our God who is sovereign? We need peace. And it comes through Jesus. So number two, the way to peace. Verses four through seven. So we need peace. Number two, we see the way to peace. And you see in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. An angel appears, and he says to them, Fear not, I bring you good news. The word there is for the gospel. I bring you good news. That's the word gospel. I bring you the gospel, good news of great joy. That will be for who? All people. The same all people that were under the Roman Empire are the same all people, the whole world, that's going to be blessed through Jesus, through his coming. And he says, The Savior has come. And this baby is laid in a feeding trough. We use the word manger, which is a nicer word. Manger is where animals eat out of. That's what a manger is. This is a humble king. Very humble. You see, we tend to think of Christmas and we get really warm feelings. Like we think, oh, Christmassy is what? Like if I said, give me some thoughts on what is Christmassy. You would say, hot chocolate by a Christmas tree. That's Christmassy. You would say, twinkling lights is very Christmassy. You would say, time with family, or seeing children opening presents, or traveling to see so-and-so. Or, or, there's so many things that we think about. Oh, that's just so Christmassy. I love the Christmas season, and I do. But see, here's the reality. When God sends Jesus at that first Christmas, was he thinking Christmassy things that we tend to think about? Was he thinking about us eating, I don't know, figgy pudding or whatever that is? Is that, is that what God the Father was envisioning when he sends his son? You think? I think not. I think not at all. He had something so much more glorious in mind than how we in our current culture celebrate Christmas. Luke 2, 7, we read it a second ago. It says, wrapped him, this is baby Jesus, wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. Okay? If you fast forward in the same book of Luke to the end, Luke 23, verse 53, same author, Luke, same spirit, you know what it says? They wrapped Jesus' body in a linen cloth and laid it in the tomb. So you have baby Jesus wrapped in linen and laid in a manger. And you have now dead Jesus wrapped in a cloth, laid in a tomb. Why would Luke use the same language like that? That's weird. That's, that sounds so grotesque. How, how could the Bible possibly equate Jesus being born, cute baby Jesus, away in the manger with being laid in a tomb. There's a reason why. Because Jesus 
was born to die for our sins. Jesus came not just to be a cute baby Jesus. He came to be born, to grow up, to live perfectly, and to satisfy the wrath of a holy God. He came to die on a cross for you and for me, we who are evil. He came to die for us and to be laid, not just in a manger, but to be laid in a tomb for us. The God-man enduring God's wrath for us. Now, some of us in this room, there are some people, I guarantee, in a room even this size, that you know you make mistakes. You know that you're not perfect. And you know that. And maybe even the occasional sin, but you don't believe that you're a sinner. You don't believe that you actually are a sinner who is condemned by a holy God and that we actually deserve hell and that we've earned death, that we deserve it. Some of you don't believe that. And if you don't believe that, then what's the point of Christmas? Warm, fuzzy feelings? God was not thinking about roasting chestnuts at the first Christmas. He wasn't. He was thinking about sending his son to pay the price for our guilt and our shame and to have your shame nailed to a cross so that you could be forgiven. He was thinking about his glory being revealed through the redemption of rebels like you and me. That is what Jesus came to do. Christmas points to Easter. That's the point. He came to die for us. This shows overwhelming, humbling mercy that we don't deserve. You've never earned. God loved you. He truly died. A price had to be paid, and he paid. And So what is the key to this? Or What is the way to peace? The way to peace is through a Savior. The only way to peace. So are you in the room today at war with God? Do you sense in your spirit, man, I'm not at peace with God. I know that I don't have this peace that is promised. Will you raise your white flag? Will you raise your white flag and wave it and say, I surrender? I surrender. I'm done trying to be the king of my life and control everything. I'm done trying to manipulate and manage other people and circumstances. I I give up. I surrender. Jesus, you be my king. I repent of my sins. My complete trust is in Jesus alone. You be my king. You be my savior, Jesus. I'm not talking about religion here. I'm not talking about more religion. I'm talking about a relationship personally with Jesus that is made possible because he died for you. And so my hope for this Christmas is that you will have a, a deep sense of God's never-ending and overwhelming and all-consuming love for you, that he proved his love for you when he died on the cross for you. Began at Christmas, but culminates with Easter, with the resurrection. So we need peace. There is a way to peace. His name is Jesus. And lastly, the result of peace. What is the result of peace? We see this humble king who came to save sinners. And, And you see in verse 10, it says, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great what? Joy. He brings news of great joy. 
This morning, when we were having our devotional time with our children, I was reading through Luke 2. We've been studying it at home as well every morning. And I asked my children, what is the result? What happens when people receive Jesus? They're like, there's rejoicing. And I was like, yes, the kids are getting it. May we all get it. What is the result? So we need peace. There is a way to peace. And what is the result of peace? Joy. Rejoicing. That is the result. And we look at these last few verses on Tuesday night when the shepherds go, and they're rejoicing. They're overwhelmed with joy. And he's called Savior, Christ, and Lord in verse 11. The Messiah is a word for Christ, the hope, the only hope that was promised. And he's the Lord, he's, which means that he is God. That's the word for God, Lord. He is the king, he's the master, and he is our savior. And that brings joy. And so let me tell you this. If you have no joy in your life, and no one would admit that on a Friday morning, I have no joy. But if you know that you really don't have joy, I can, I can assure you that the reason is because you have drifted from Jesus. I'm not saying that you're lost, but I am saying that you have ever so slightly drifted because having Jesus in his fullness, having his presence, having his approval is all you need for lasting joy. And even if your circumstances are crummy, even if you're terrified, even if there's uncertainty, even if there's the unknown, even if things are unsettled, even if you have problems, even so, you can have joy. Because you have Jesus. And there's nothing better than his love. Nothing else that will satisfy. And so what do the angels say as we close? Glory to God on the highest. And on earth, peace. There it is. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. This is what Jesus does. He glorifies God and he brings us peace. But specifically, peace with God. Because Jesus came. So I want to ask you one last question, and then we're going to have communion. How are you? How are you doing? I really mean that. I know most of you reasonably well, not all of you. But how are you? Are you sensing peace in your soul? Do you have joy? Are you really struggling? What I would want for you is if you're here today, you really are honest, man, I'm struggling. I believe in Jesus, but I'm having a hard time right now. That you would just run to Jesus. Run back to him. He's going to hold you. He's going to love you. He's going to hug you. And he's going to tell you how much he loves you, how much he adores you, and how much he wants you to have joy. Run back to him. Stop trying to find that, that peace elsewhere. You won't. When you have peace that comes from Jesus, it results, but joy just bubbles over. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm honest, I don't, I don't have peace. I, I don't have this joy that you're talking about. Because maybe your soul is still at war with God. You're wrestling, you're fighting against him, rebelling against him. You can have peace if you'll wave that white flag, if you'll surrender. 
and say, I want to love you and be loved by you and to know you and be known by you. And he gives you the best, which is himself. If you receive him, if you repent of your sins, turn away from that, turn to him, he'll come in. And you can be changed at this Christmas from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we are truly thankful that this morning you've given us the privilege of looking at your word. We thank you for the joy that you give to us. For indeed, you bring good news. As your angels announce, there is good news. The gospel is good news for all those with whom you are pleased and you are pleased with Jesus. And so you are pleased with us only when we believe in your Son alone for our salvation. So we admit to you that we are weak and that we need you. We are so thankful for Christmas, Father, that you sent your Son for us. And far beyond the warm, fuzzy feelings, we were thankful for Christmas because of our redemption, that you sent us a Savior. I pray for anyone in this room that knows you but is really struggling right now, that they would sense your presence and you would fill them with joy and that they would run back to you. I pray for anyone in this room right now, and you know who they are, God, who are running away from you and are rebelling against you and are truly at war with you and have no peace. I pray you would fill them with your Holy Spirit that they could then respond with true faith in you and repent and turn away from their sins, that they can be saved and truly changed at this Christmas. Father, as we enter into this time of communion, I pray that we would do so with hearts that are right before you. We praise you for Jesus and for our redemption, and we pray in his name. Amen.